I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me is Coleman Hodges, Swim Swam Head of Production, and the guy on the scene on deck at all the swim meets. And today, we're talking with an icon, a Canadian swimming star, the professor of freestyle, a, a really great human being, Brett Hayden. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure. Olympic medalist, world champion, uh, entrepreneur. Um, you know, the reason why I really wanted to have you on to talk to you was I wanted to get into some deep knowledge on freestyle, and we're going to get to that toward um, here in a little bit, and uh, hopefully we can, we can help some young swimmers out with some information and places to go, because I got to tell you, I always wanted to be a freestyler. I kind of pulled it together at the end of my career, so, and I, you know, I won a, I won a bronze medal on a relay. But I never fully got it. So I've always been fascinated by people who just who do know how to do this and do it beautifully. And when I see you swim, you really are just beautiful in the water. So I can't wait to get into that. But we do need to to our our, our audience has told us that we get our best stuff toward the end of our podcasts. And uh, so we're we're gonna throw a lot at you here in the beginning, just for fun stuff. And uh, typically the, the conversation, you know, what happens at the end. So we're just going to go right off the bat. Um, what year did you shave your head and why? Ah, okay. So that was, um, that was in 2007, right before the world championships. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. Okay. This is, uh, this is me being um, a man coming to terms with his hairline. Um, I, I just, uh, we were at a beach, um, recently and somebody had taken a picture of the group of us from the back and I noticed a bald spot starting on the back of my head and I was like, Oh my God, it looks, it looks terrible. Uh, and yeah, that's, that was just like, I just decided right there to just pull out the clippers and just, just shave it off. And I remember everybody on the team, uh, at our team meeting was just like completely shocked when I, when I walked in. Um, but you know. After my first meet with a shaved head, I uh, won a gold medal. At, you know, it was the world championships, and you know, it just kind of stuck with that. It's, um, I think, that goes along with with this with the shaved head look. You wear it well, six five, one hundred ninety pounds. When 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 you enter a room, we see you coming. But it, it, what really tops off the look are those sweet sweet frames. Where do you get the glasses? Because you always have the coolest glasses. Oh man, all that. You know, that's a compliment. Um, I don't I never really thought too much about it. I just go to a, I think it's called like Lens Crafters here at the, at the mall at Metro Town. Uh, so, dis so disappointed. I, was, I wanted something, I was expecting some, something super cool. Like I fly to London, there's a special shop. No, we don't do that. But these ones, uh, these ones are Persol. So they're, these ones are handmade in Italy. So those are my favorite ones. All right. Well, I've, I've actually, you know, I, I've, I've, I was a fan from afar, but we, you know, I had the pleasure of actually going to flying up and spending a few days with you on a commercial shoot that we did. And you were extraordinarily professional, spot on. You got it. I got to meet your lovely wife. So, you know, forget about you. How's your wife doing? Is she, is she singer songwriter? What's going on in her life? 
Yeah, she's doing great. She's uh, she's writing new music right now. Um, so she she's teamed up with a with an amazing producer. Uh, the stuff they've been coming up with, um, you know, like actually, you know, she's working with a bunch of great people. Like the music is absolutely fantastic. Um, it was actually funny last year because she's a child star in the Middle East, right? That's like that's how people know her. So she actually went uh, to Egypt, even though she's from Lebanon. Her her song. Um, was the biggest in Egypt, had the biggest impact there. So she went on to the show, one of the, like it's basically the Oprah of uh, the Middle East, I can't pronounce it. And she sang her old song with a 50 piece orchestra. And it went like millions of views in the first like 24, 48 hours. Like it was absolutely in, insane. She, she's lovely. And uh, well, you know, here's the thing, I had an impression of you because you're a big guy, you're, you're a sprint man, you're a, you're, you, you burn the nitro when you do it and you've done it consistently for so many years. A little intimidated, you know, and I didn't know what to expect. And, uh, and seeing you and spending time with you, you're really a, a charismatic, empathetic person. But I think that what, what really comes through is that you're, you love design you're you're an artist you're uh you you're you're a passionate photographer you've you have you've had exhibits tell me about your photography and and you know how did that develop yeah um well first i want to say like about the the intimidation thing i once had a, another swimmer in the ready room tell me like brent you know i was really intimidated by you until you opened your mouth and <laughs> like okay that's I guess that's a compliment. <laughs> so I, thought, I always thought uh, that kind of always um, stuck with me that I guess like my appearance uh, seems to, uh, to intimidate people, but that's never the, the intention. I just, I just like getting up and racing. Um, but the photography is something I've always done. Um, as far back as I can remember, I remember picking up my parents' um, old film, uh, Canon camera and wanting to, to photograph with it. In high school, we actually had a photography uh, class with a darkroom. All right, so this is still before digital, so I'm kind of ex exposing my age here a little bit. Um, and I really, I really fell in love with the whole process of shooting on film, not having the instant feedback of like on the review screen. Like, um, like I really get lost in that viewfinder, and then going into the dark room and you know playing around in there and, and seeing really what comes up on the paper when you put it into the developer bath. Uh, it's it's really um, it's, it's kind of calming in a way, and especially with the, you know, the chaos that comes with swimming, you know, the constant, um, you know, heavy training, the, the competition. Sometimes I just need a, an outlet to release and kind of try to find my balance again, and photography allows me to do that. And during this quarantine, I've actually been piecing together my own dark room, so hopefully uh, we'll be uh, doing that and building it out of my, in my parents' basement. Um, I don't know how happy they are that I'm bringing more stuff to, to store their house, but um, but they're they're allowing me to do that. So that's just been, so that's one thing that quarantine has given me time to do. We can talk about it all day long, but until someone actually sees your work, they're not going to really understand uh, how great you are. You've you've got a you've got a fantastic eye. Uh, your composition of frame is it sucks you in. There's something that is you know things you see an image it is so odd but so familiar and it stops you. So if I want to see your work, where do I go? Um, so I got everything on my website, uh, BrentHaydenPhotography.com. Um, but I, I kind of want to say a little bit about like why I kind of shoot uh, the way I do. And it kind of goes back to how I was using photography as my, as my balance. So as you'll notice in the images, most of them involve water, right? Um, 
because obviously water is a big is a big part of me, and that's always where I want to be. Um, but you know, there, I the way I can describe it is there's there's that space of silence between when the crowd is going crazy and the and the starter says take your marks, and the crowd goes silent, and all you hear is a lot of nothingness and maybe just the pounding of your own heartbeat beating in your chest and that's kind of a moment that I try to capture. So I like to go out when the, when the weather isn't great. Um, I prefer to go out when it's like on the edge of rain, right? When you got a storm coming in and then just using the long exposures and just smooth out all that water, the clouds become streaks every like, um, and you kind of bring your focus into, um, into an object that I usually have uh, out in the water. And that's kind of like my focus uh, when I'm looking down the lane and kind of blocking all the, chaos that's on the outside of it i love it i love it so if you're out there and you're intimidated by brent hayden you just you don't need to be this guy is introspective he's uh he's he's an artist and very interesting to talk to and if you're going to spend several days doing a commercial shoot which is a whole lot of downtime and a whole lot of just playing around and having fun hayden's your man um let's Let's uh, let's let's pull in. There's something that I didn't know, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't know this. I swear to you, I'm like, how did I not know this? I'm fascinated by people's first Olympics. My first Olympics was was not. I I, I didn't perform well, and I, there was you know I was very depressed and not a little bit ashamed about it. But I didn't. But I think a lot of athletes have a first Olympics that is that way. Uh, yours was in 2004. You were 20. You were a kid. Green oh. didn't work. But I didn't know that you were arrested. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know, and, and it was it was like by riot police beaten up at the 2004 Olympic. I didn't know that. So can you just what what happened there? That was uh, that was a crazy uh, crazy experience. Like, and it I I can almost get like flashbacks when when I see um, you know these these riots that happen on on TV. Like we were like, this was a week after we were done swimming and we were out, you know, celebrating, you know, doing what most athletes do when they're, when they're done competing. And we just ended up um, at this uh, intersection. It was a bunch of other people that were out late partying, uh, having fun. And we looked down the street and there's just a lineup of riot police in their full riot gear. And we, we had no idea what was going on. And suddenly the crowd that we were standing in just turned hostile. Right, they started uh, pulling dumpsters um, from the walls and pulling them out into the streets of, as barricades. Started picking up uh, objects off the ground, like you know, rocks and bottles or whatnot, and they started throwing them in the direction of the police. And before we, as a group, could decide, um, you know, what was the best way to to get out of there, because you know, somebody had mentioned like we should probably just go back to the village. And we're like, yeah, okay, but we, which way do we go? Um, they just started charging at us. And you could hear a bunch of um, things getting fired. So I don't know if those were like um, rubber bullets or anything. But we, as soon, as soon as we saw the line break and started running out, it's like we just ran to to get out of there. Um, so I ran into a doorway. Um, well, we all did um, to just to get out of the street, just so we didn't get hit with anything. And so I ran inside. And when I thought I was safe, um, you know, I stopped. And then this hand just reaches over my shoulder and just grabs me by the shirt and just yanks me out into the street. And I got thrown face down. Um, they beat me up for, for a few minutes with their, uh, with their batons, uh, you know, kicking me with their steel-toed boots. Uh, the other athletes said there were about five of them beating me at the same time. I even, while I'm protecting my head, I actually reached into my pocket because I had my, um, my ID um, attached. Um, you know, the lanyard was looped around my belt loop. 
So I pulled it out of my pocket and I held it above my head and screamed, I'm an athlete, please stop hitting me. They actually ripped it off and tossed it aside. Um, one of the other athletes actually picked it up and saved it for me because I would have been, um, I would have been in a lot of trouble if I had lost that because that's your passport to, um, to the games. You can't get in, into the village without that, as you know. Um, and as soon as they were done, you know, I just put my arms behind my head or behind my back and uh, just like, just cuff me, just please stop hitting me. And I was in handcuffs for about, Oh, about an hour, 45 minutes. Um, and actually, while I was protecting my head, I actually cracked, they actually cracked my elbow really good. Um, so that's why I couldn't swim at the World Short Course Champs uh, after those games because I couldn't move my arm for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, but I remember sitting there. Um, one, I had already had a bad uh, performance experience. Right? I, I didn't race well at all. Um, I feel like I let my relay team down and we missed a shot in the medal. Um, and so I had already had, had to kind of come to terms with that. And now here I am, um, you know, sitting on the ground against a wall with my hands cuffed behind my back. And I'm just thinking like, th like this is what I dreamed of my entire life was getting to the Olympics. And this is how it went. Like I, I couldn't believe what had happened. And like, and I was, I'm, I was a good kid. Like I never got in trouble. I think in like my entire like elementary and high school year that I maybe went to detention, like, you know, count on one hand how many times I got in trouble right so this was um this was pretty pretty shocking for me and I almost quit swimming um after that because I was I just didn't know how I could um how I could find the passion to want to go to another Olympics after that can, can you give that some context what you know what were the riot police doing there <laughs> I mean did you find out later uh, you know what was happening in that situation well, the, in Athens, it, it seemed like um, a lot of the population weren't supportive of the games being there. Um, you know, I mean, we saw their financial crash, uh, you know, that happened years later. So um, I, I think it was probably mostly around um, the country's economy. And I think as the games grew on, people were just getting um, more and more um, aggressive, <laughs> I guess. Just like, just get these games over with and just, um, just get them out of here. Um, now, I, I also feel like that's not a large part of the population. I think the majority of the people there um, really loved it. But also, too, like when – like we saw it in Vancouver in the uh, in 2011 after we lost a hockey game, like we lost the, the Stanley Cup Finals. All it takes is just a few people to, to um, you know, to light that spark. And everybody out who, who is, you know, it's out late. Everyone's been, uh, been drinking, right? It's easy – or like it's crazy how quickly that mob mentality uh, takes hold because all these other people that probably weren't even thinking about it probably uh, probably joined in too. Thank God you came back from that. It's uh, I mean after the death of Floyd, Minneapolis and America, just you know, the United States exploding in protests. Do you do you feel triggered? Have you have you are you seeing a therapist? Do you feel like you've been? Do you feel like you've suffered some tr some trauma? No, I I used to get triggered. Um, especially like, you know, just, just watching the news and seeing it happen um, over there and especially around their, um, their economic collapse, like they were protesting again. And like, I'm actually like, like I recognize what the Greek police look like when, in the riot gear. And, and yeah, I, I got triggered a bit, um, but I, I was seeing a psychologist uh, after I got home um, because of it. Um, and I also had, and this is, this was really unfortunate, but there was um, a news article that came out like uh, about two months afterwards and they, they mixed the dates of the events up 
They, and they said that the night of this arrest, this beating happened the night before our relay and said, that's why I performed poorly because I decided to go out late and party. And, and, uh, so when that happened, like my parents had to, um, had to, um, they were in the phone book. So they, they were getting all kinds of nasty, uh, voicemails, you know, how I was like a, a poor ambassador uh, for Canada and how I should be ashamed of myself. And like, those, those are the nice things um, that people were saying. So that, that also turned into a four year uh, libel um, lawsuit um, because of that. So oh. I was, I was still dealing with that uh, when I was going through the world champs in, uh, in 07, but, but I don't know. Maybe it made you tougher. Yeah. Like I, I think honestly, like after about two or three months of seeing the psychologist and of course having a coach that I could speak to, um, you know, friends I could talk to my family. Um, I just being able to talk it out. I suddenly realized that there, I have an opportunity to rewrite my story still that this doesn't have to be the final chapter. And I think it actually um, kind of lit the fire under me a little bit more. But the swimming was no longer just a thing that I was just doing that I just happened to be good at. I now had something to prove and I, I had a story that I needed to write. So, uh, so kind of flash us forward to 07. You decide to shave your head deep. 07, a little bit of a different time in swimming. That's, you know, you see a few people, you see a few guys who had shaved heads who didn't wear a cap. D do you wear a cap when you compete? No, uh, honestly, I'd never actually liked wearing a cap. Even when I was um, a kid until my early teens, even with a full head of hair, I, I didn't start wearing a cap until after I left, um, got out of summer club. I was a summer club swimmer until I was almost 15 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so those few years after that, before I started shaving my head, like I was wearing a cap, but I honestly, I, I never liked it because I would, the, the air bubbles under the cap would, would, mm -hmm. um, when I pushed off the wall and you feel like the, you know, the top of the cap, uh, moving and then also like putting a cap on and you're standing there under the hot sun um and, and an outdoor pool before a race and like my head just overheats so um i do feel like uh shaving my head though it helps me feel the water uh better so i can better uh place my head position uh let's sorry i want to i want to i skipped ahead a little on this narrative so the next year after after this incident at your first olympics you have a home world champs uh how did you feel heading into that? You know, what, what did you think of your performances? You know, you're, you're, you're on the journey of rewriting your narrative. How does that fall into place? Yeah. So that was uh, in Montreal and yeah, it was like, I, I really had something to prove after, you know, I mean, take the whole beating uh, thing out of it. You know, I did not do my job in the four by 200 relay and, you know, we could have won a medal in that and we ended up fifth. Um, so I really had something to prove, not just to, um, not just to my teammates, but to my country as well. And then having it in Montreal. So, you know, almost, you know, not quite a hometown, you know, I'm from Vancouver, but, a, but a home country, mm -hmm. um, neat. And then just also, you know, finding that fire that I did after, you know, I came to terms, um, with what happened and accepted it and, and figured out a way that I could turn that into fuel. And I, I went into those meets with, um, with a real reason uh, to succeed. And I helped two of our relays get to silver medals. Uh, I almost medaled in the 200 free. Um, I think Rake Neithling uh, just barely uh, out-touched me. 
and then I had my first uh, 100 free uh, final where I got six. So like that was um that was a big big um I don't know what the, actually I don't even know what the word was but a, a validation I guess that I still had um, I still had something to give uh, to the sport. You came back the uh. I just, I want to, I want to get to the freestyle clinic. I want to, I want to, but, but I just, I just had a curious, the 2009 world championships was, a, I was there, I was there watching every minute of it. Every time someone fell in the pool, there was a world record. Everyone was wearing a rubberized flotation device and it got, it got to a point where you got numb watching it. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm there working, but I'm also there as a fan and it's uh so I, I, I forgot this, but I remember that you went the 47.2 and a laser. And I remember the year before the laser was a good suit. And by 2009, if you weren't wearing the X-Glide or the Jacket, which was fully rubberized, <laughs> you were suffering. Um, you swam well. That's your best time, right? I mean, that's, that's extraordinary. What, uh, what, was your, what was your headspace going into that Hunter Free Final? Um. I'll be honest. I wanted to wear uh, wear one of those other suits, but um, you know, I was under contractual obligations to you know, and I, I wanted to you know honor that contract and and not break it. So, um, yeah. So I kind of got I got stuck in a position where I had to wear an inferior suit out for that final. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It it is a great suit, but it was you know last year's model, right? This year's models were were a lot faster, so um, yeah. And I just missed that podium. I think it was by two one hundredths of a second. Busquet just uh, just outtouched me, and that's something that I I do kind of regret in a way because um, and there was a, there was actually a great article in Swim Swam a while ago. Um, like we're talking about like years ago now that broke down the the time differences and actually. Um, was able to take like the average time drops from one suit to the other and actually applied that to my race to see what my time was or would have been if I had, I just worn one of the other suits and it was like, it would have been like a 46, seven or, or something. So like, like 44, seven, sorry, <laughs> 44, seven. Oh my God. <laughs> no, right. it, would, it would have been a 44, seven. I'm just kidding. But if, yeah, 46, seven, that's correct. And um, like, so that would mean that I would still be the world record holder. And so that's that's a status and a title that um, that I, I didn't get because of the suit, and it's it hurts sometimes. On the other hand, I am I'm also proud of myself at the same time too because I think that you know it kind of just shows my integrity as a person. Um, but at the same time, I was like you know it would be cool to have that world record. You've been a stalwart man in the blue ribbon event, uh, and with with a varied career and so much experience from you know the terrible 2004 experience, which was traumatic, winning in 2007, 2009, going through that integrity moment, and meddling in 2012, then seven years of retirement, and I just want to know how was retirement? Were you loving life? No, I, I wasn't living life at all, actually. Uh, retirement was was tough um you know there's i took a huge um huge financial hit when i when i retired because like yo you because when you're swimming you've got all your funding you've got your sponsors um and because i didn't i didn't plan on retiring after london it's just uh because of the way the year had gone actually the last four years had gone 
um, you know, with my chronic back spasms, um, I was kind of spiraling towards uh, depression um, as well. Um, I didn't have any solutions for any of the problems that I was having. So I, I realized, like, you know, I, I couldn't walk for four days, only two weeks before the games. That's how bad my back was. So I actually almost thought I was going to retire before the games because um, I had a back spasm while at staging camp. Ah, uh, it's, it's crazy. I didn't know that. And the day of the final, my rib was out of place. <laughs> so I was dealing with that as well. <laughs> um, it, it was kind of related because like, cause I, I was suffering from these chronic back spasms. And so I think just after all the racing, I just suffered like a small microspasm between one of my ribs and it just pulled against one of the ribs. And I went to bed feeling fine. And I woke up, I felt like my rib was punching through my skin. Um, so, but I, I do feel though that all my failures and challenges that I had faced in the past were preparing me to, to succeed in, in that moment. Um, because I, I think my head was in the right place, even though my body uh, wasn't. And I think it just kind of makes, um, it makes that bronze medal even more valuable uh, to me uh, for being able to step up like that. Uh, but I had no solutions to, um, to these things going forward. And I didn't want to be one of the swimmers that's going to kind of fizzle out because I'm not able to train at the level uh, that I want to, or the back spasms become too frequent or too intense. Um, I didn't want to go into depression. Um, so I just like, you know what, let's just, let's just end this on the high note that it is and be able to put that as uh, my final stamp. Um, so I took a huge financial hit and, uh, you know, that, that was tough. Um, I mean, I got married, uh, as well, uh, right after the games, we flew straight from London to Lebanon and, uh, and got married there. So, I mean, and life was good. Um, I have, to, I have to thank my amazing wife for, for, you know, being my life partner, uh, through this journey. But, um, but, you know, but finances were, were pretty, uh, pretty tight, um, the whole time. So I can't, I, yeah, I really can't say I was, I was living it up. It, it gave me time though to, you know, do other things like work on my photography. We started a clothing line, uh, Astra Athletica, which is still going. And, um, actually sales have actually uh, picked up during, during this quarantine, which, which has been great. Um, and just, you know, I don't know if we want to talk about this now, but like this kind of, like we were doing a lot of private coaching, uh, during this time. Right. And we were doing private coaching at our pool here. We were traveling across Canada, uh, running clinics with clubs. And my wife actually, uh, used to work at one of the top private swim schools in North America. So the, it was always our philosophy to teach uh, freestyle technique from a teaching perspective rather than a coaching one. Right. So we took her teaching um, philosophy, took my high performance and we kind of mirrored the two. And we, over the years we had developed this curriculum because we, we would test this with the swimmers and, and we were inventing drills to solve problems that we saw these swimmers having that, you know, we look in our library of drills, like there's no drill that's going to address this problem or address, you know, these two or three problems at once. So we developed this curriculum, which is a step-by-step -step, um, progression where we start, you know, from breathing to alignment to body rotation to kick, right? Um, and, but after a while, the pools kicked us out. We were no longer allowed to do private coaching. Like lifeguards uh, were, getting, um, were getting jealous that we were taking away their clients. Um, we had another coach of the, of the club at the pool who, who didn't like us doing our private coaching because I guess he did private coaching too. And he saw his swimmers coming to us. So like, again, there, there was this professional jealousy going on there. Um, and so without a pool, we're just, we just had like, you know what, we need to just put this online. 
like let's stop, let's stop being limited with who and where we're able to provide this. And so last summer we flew back to Lebanon and we didn't, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do this there, but it was kind of in the back of our mind that this was one of our goals. And we ended up living just down the street from this amazing pool. It was just, it was actually just by fluke because I actually hopped onto Google maps one day, turned on the satellite view. I was just looking for all these little blue rectangles from, from space. Right. And I found this one, it was called the Jaita country club. And it, it was just stunning. It's on a mountain looking down the Valley towards the Mediterranean. And I just reached out to him, uh, the owner and I said, Hey, would I be able to come and swim in your pool? And he said, yeah, like come on over. And that actually is what really got me back on the water for the first time. Because before then, like I, I had considered coming out of retirement before, but I, realized I didn't really need to come out of retirement. And I wasn't really sure if my body would be able to handle it, even if I did, because I'd been out of the water now for seven years, but getting in the water, um, I was really surprised at how good um, my body actually felt. Um, of course, the endurance wasn't there. I could barely go 2K, but over the short distance that I was going, it, like, it, it felt really, uh, really amazing. And then we even did a clinic for a team in downtown Beirut, and the kids really wanted to see me go fast. So like, okay, well, they got this you know, old like, rickety block. I'm like, okay, well, I'll, tr I'll see what I can do. Got my wife to time it. Cause then I figured like I, I could just, um, or to, uh, to film it. Cause then I could time it, time the video later and she filmed it. And after the clinic, um, I did the time on it and I think it was like a, a 10.1, which is for me, that's really good. So I sent that video to Brett Hawk and I said, Hey, what do you think of this? He goes, dude, you could, you could probably make the Olympic team. I'm like, you think so? <laughs> so that, that's actually what sparked it. And I reached out to other uh, swimmers too. I reached out to, um, Anthony Irvin, you know, as somebody who came out of retirement uh, to get his opinion, uh, reached out to Bruno Fratis uh, to see what, what he would think. So I was talking to all these other people before I even thought about asking Swimming Canada because I felt like I needed the confidence first uh, to ask them. Um, but before I, before I did that, like, we, we still kept filming. Um, we started filming the course. So we asked the guy at the country club, okay, now can I actually film this, uh, film this course here? And People don't really get in the pool until about 12 o'clock. So said, yeah, just come in every morning. So we hired a camera guy and every morning we just started going to the pool and we just started filming the course. And as I was filming the course, my stroke started feeling better and better and better. And so I started doing more sprints and actually was able to get those times down to like 10.0s, even did a couple of 9.9s. And um, then I got the confidence to reach out to Swimming Canada and say, hey, what do you, what do you guys think? So we have SwimmingSecrets.com and your wife. You have your wife and SwimmingSecrets.com, your course that, it, that, that you can take online. Yeah. Uh, that we, we can thank, we can thank those, those two things for your return to the sport. Yeah. I love it. Can you, can you share one or two Swimming Secrets with us? Yes. Yes, share, share. Well, for real experts out there, it's not these aren't going to necessarily sound like secrets, but for you beginners out there, um, these are things that I actually thought about when I was when I was a really uh, young swimmer, and that these stuck. These are fundamentals that stuck with me throughout my career. Right? Don't turn your head to breathe. That's one of the first secrets. Right? You've got your body rotation going. Just join your head with your body roll. Maintain perfect alignment the entire time. Right? If you're moving through the water efficiently 
then your fitness and your power and your speed, that's all going to come after, right? Minimize the resistance you need to overcome. Don't try to overcome the resistance. Okay, so as a young kid, like, that was my biggest um, focus because I got stuck in lanes with swimmers who were faster than me and they were laughing me all the time. So I had to figure out ways to not get lapped by them. And that was working on my, on my efficiency. So, um, so our course really is designed to help you build the most efficient technique um, that your body can, can do. And we do it in a way that actually gives you a crystal clear roadmap from the foundation all the way to, to the end. Like I said, we go from, from the breathing to the body alignment, to the kick, to the body rotation. Like we work on all that before we even get to the arms, right? Everybody always wants to jump to the arms, right? Um, but we also do it in a way that like it's progressive, like within those modules as well. So like, it's like taking, I, I, I think of like really stupid visual analogies all the time, but I kind of think of it like little building blocks all the time. Like you got to start with all your Lego pieces. Well, if you start building this part or think of like Ikea furniture, if you go to the end, well, you got to undo everything because you missed a part and you got to go back. There's that one little screw you missed, right? You got to go all the way to the beginning. So we, we give you that step-by-step, -step, um, progression, but before, um, before we actually decided to do this, like I've been using, um, I gotta do, I gotta do a shout out to, to Finis because I've been using their products, uh, for our clinics for, for years. Like we would travel with like 30 of their alignment boards in a suitcase and we'd give them all to the swimmers for the clinic. So it was like their alignment boards are probably, um, our favorite teaching tool. Um, we also will sometimes use the bolster paddles to help work on the good hand form connection because that's another little secret. Your hand is a very small paddle, your hand and form is a much bigger paddle. So you get into that early vertical form or high elbow catch, right? Maximize your surface hold on the water. Um, and then before the clinic, I asked them like, would you guys, um, like we've been using your products for a long time uh, for teaching. Would you guys support, um, support us to, to do this clinic? And they were like, yes, absolutely. We would support you for, for the clinic. So they sent us some, some more product for us uh, to use. And again, this is before I came out of retirement. So, so they helped us put this course together and they're, they're helping us um, sell it uh, as well. And, and now like after I came out of retirement, I was like, Hey, Finice, do you guys want to support my comeback journey? And they're like, absolutely. This is amazing. So it's, um, it's, it's been a really great uh, relationship with them and I absolutely love, um, love their products. But like I said, like we, we wouldn't be able to have the results in um, in our teaching if we didn't have uh, like their such like unique products. Like they're they're so great. And my coach actually now passes around my alignment board to the other swimmers now because that's I feel like that's like one of my secret uh, training tools or one of my secret training weapons. If you want swimming secrets from Brent Hayden, go to swimmingsecrets.com. Love hearing that backstory. We're big fans of Finney's. I've known John Mix, uh, one of the co-founders since the early 1990s when he started out with one product. But uh, that company has a lot of integrity. They have a great stable of talent and I think they're, they're brilliant to bring you on. The, uh, so we're down to three minutes. So I have to just dig into this, buddy. You're 36 years old, I've got to get into it in three minutes. Uh, I, I, the idea of coming back to the sport at that age is, to me, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just an anxious and insecure person, but I think that would be very, very frightening. And, uh, you know, what's your headspace? Because you're swimming against titans right now. you yeah. got, you got to go up against some heavy-duty talent. Where's your headspace? Honestly, it's, like, I'm just about the journey. I'm not even thinking about the results. Like, I just want to see 
and this is the philosophy I had always had of my entire life. The only time I lost it was at the 2008 games, and I think that's why I didn't do well there. You know, just focus on your own performance. Focus on swimming as fast as you can, and the results will take care of themselves. Like, like I'm in this journey uh, for myself. I want to see how fast I can swim, but most importantly, I just kind of want an opportunity to leave the sport falling in love with it again, right? Because I fell out, I really did fall out of love with the sport in 2012. And like, I, I just couldn't move forward. And I, that didn't sit well with me, right? And so it's just an opportunity to just like, kind of find that love again and be able to leave the sport in a better place. It's very philosophical. Philosophical, I think that we, you know, we, we, we spend the first part of our life learning and then we spend it achieving. And if we're really successful in life, we end it as teachers. And the idea that you're ending it as a teacher and that brought you back to, back to the sport through SwimmingSecrets.com is it's kind of beautiful, buddy. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you want to say in the final minute? Any parting thoughts? Yeah, um, I think during this whole time, we've all been out of the pool for a long time. Um, I know a lot of athletes have been freaking out um, that this time is going to be detrimental to their preparation. Like, just remember, I was out of the pool for seven years, and within six months, I posted my fourth fastest 50-meter freestyle time ever, and the three faster were in bodysuits. So I could argue that that was actually my best performance ever. I mean, I'll say it did help having Caleb Dressel kick my butt off the starting block and having to try to pull him back in. Uh, the the whole time. So, but now I know, um, you know, my where I need to improve um, in the front part of my my race. But, um, you know, just use this as an example. I mean, you got other examples too. You got Anthony Irwin. You got Derek Torres. Like a lot of athletes have taken a lot of time off and been able to come back and uh, and do great things. The time off might even uh, might even put you in a better place. It'll give you your, your body a chance to reti- uh, to recover in ways that um, you know the constant training might not or might prevent it from doing. And then it's also going to clear your head so when you get back into the water, you're going to be a little bit more hungry for it because now you've experienced what life is like without swimming. Hey, do you love swim swim as much as I do? Do you want hours of endless practice footage, race video, and a guide to the best pancakeries in the country? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel below and follow us on social media at News on Twitter and Instagram. If we get a million followers, I might just eat a million pancakes. Only one way to find out.